Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. You've made the best decision you could possibly make by tuning your ear to the Word of God. I would love to invite you to stay updated with us on Facebook and YouTube. You can find us at Revival House Church. Father, bless this person and let the seed of the Word multiply 30, 60, and 100 times over in Jesus' name. We're on part three today of the series entitled, Is It God's Will That I Prosper? Is it God's will that I prosper? Again, we've been going through the Bible. Not just me up here screaming and shouting, God wants to do this for you and he's going to do that for you. We've been going through the scripture to help you understand what the Bible has to say about this subject. Because I'm going to tell you, people can say good things, but you can't come to Revival House Church and hear the skinny white boy preacher screaming things and build your life off of what he said, right? You can only build your life off the word of God. So it's not just enough for you to hear somebody else say it. You've got to be able to turn to chapter, to page, to line, and know what the Bible says and build your life on what the word of God says for it to be an effect in your life. Amen. And it's so important for you to understand this. And, and there's so many reasons why, but I can tell you, if there was ever an hour for prosperity in the church, it's right now. There's so much work that the Lord wants to get done on the earth, and there's things he needs to get in the hands of his people. So you got to get this. So today, I'm going to teach you an aspect of prosperity. I've never taught on this before. Never. I've never taught a message like this from this angle But I'm going to begin to teach you about the Sabbath today. Can you say Sabbath? Sabbath. Hallelujah. The Sabbath. I'm going to start in Genesis chapter 2, if you have your Bible. Genesis 2, 1 through 4. Genesis chapter 2, 1 through 4. This is the first recorded Sabbath in the Bible. Who knows who took the first Sabbath in the Bible? God did. God initiated the Sabbath before man was even on the earth. And that's important. We're going to get to that. But let's look at this. So it says, thus, I'm going to read in the New King James, thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. Can you say finished? And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done. And he rested. If you have your Bible, look at that word rested on the seventh day from all of his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because he rested. There's that word rested again from all of his work, which he had created and made. This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Can you say rested? Something I need you to understand. I never really understood the Sabbath So maybe this will be revelatory revelatory to you. If it's not, then it will just be a refresher. It was to me. But that word rested there is the word sabbat, S-A-B-A-T. It's a Hebrew word, and it's not what you think. When you think of rest, what do you think? You think lounging in a chair. You think sleeping. You think being exhausted, being wore out. That's not what this word means at all. In fact, the Hebrew word sabbat used there, it literally just means ceased or finished. Say ceased or finished. So basically, the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the host of them all, and he finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done, and then he ceased. He didn't necessarily rest the way that we think rest. He ceased. He stopped. He finished. 
And so I want to bring you back to this point. This is the first Sabbath ever recorded in the Bible. Do you know why that's important? Because when you study the Bible, there's a a law that you need to keep at the forefront of your mind. It's called the law of first mention. So anytime, think about this. If you want to study healing in the Bible, to study it properly and understand what the Bible has to say about healing, you would want to go to the first record of healing that's ever mentioned in the Bible. That's called the law of first mention. If you wanted to study uh you know, the, the shedding of blood, the blood of Jesus, what would you do? You would look at the first offering, blood sacrifice made to the Lord in the Old Testament. That's called the law of first mention. And the law of first mention basically says this. The Bible's first mention of a concept is the simplest and clearest presentation. Doctrines are then more fully developed on that foundation. If you want to know Because, you know, people have all these thoughts and all these ideas, and we can kind of mix things up and misinterpret things. If you want to know what God has to say about a subject, go back to the first time it was mentioned, and there's a law that says that's the the simplest and clearest presentation of that subject in the Bible. So what do you do? You study this first mention, the first time it's ever recorded, and then you begin to build your doctrines off of that. Amen. Okay, so this is why this is important in understanding the Sabbath. When God initiated the Sabbath, there was no man on the earth. Or man hadn't, hadn't engaged in the Sabbath at this point. I want you to see this. He initiated the Sabbath. I'm going to answer, ask you this question. Why? Why did God initiate the Sabbath? Why? He was done. Say done. Look at this. Was God tired and God, did God need to rest? Say no. Look at Isaiah 40, 28. Have you not known and have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the heavens and earth, neither faints nor is weary. So he doesn't grow faint and he doesn't grow weary. You guys remember that old song? You are the everlasting God. You do not faint, you don't grow weary. He doesn't faint, and he doesn't grow weary. So does God get tired? No, God doesn't get tired. Yet why did he initiate the Sabbath? He didn't initiate the Sabbath because God had worked so hard, and he was drained, and he was run down, and he really needed a break. He initiated the Sabbath because he was finished. Say finished. That word sabbat, it literally means finished. Say finished one more time. So basically, what is God painting a picture of? He did seven days of work in six days' time. God did seven days' worth of work in six days of time. So what did he do on the seventh day? He stopped. Why did he stop? Because he was finished. (laughs) Y'all, I'm telling you, If you, a lot of Christians, they don't know anything about the Sabbath or some things that they do know is wrong. You know, this is is like one of the mindsets that people have. They have the Sabbath all wrong. They think, you know, I'm just beat down. I'm broke down. I go to work all week. I'm tired. I'm drugged down. And I need a Sabbath because I've just been chewed up and spit out and beat up by the world. And I'm just so exhausted. I have to have a day of rest. I have to have a day of escape. Was that why the Sabbath is created? No. Say no. No. 
God did in six days what should have taken in seven. He said, I was finished, so I stopped. I want you to write this down for point number one. By the grace and power of God, I can accomplish in six days what takes a normal person seven. Hallelujah. Y'all, we got it totally flipped again. We just think that life is just such a struggle we're just always getting run down. I'm so exhausted. John, you don't understand the trials that I've walked through this week. So I have to have a day where I just get away from it all and I take a break from this curse that I live under. No, it's actually the opposite, that there's a grace, there's a power for being effective, being proficient, being successful that comes on the believer where you can actually accomplish seven days worth of work in a six-day period. So guess what you get to do on the seventh day? You get to stop. Do you stop because you're beat down and run down? No, you stopped because you finished. Hallelujah. Can you imagine flipping that? Instead of entering into a Sabbath day, which the Bible tells us we should, we should observe that. That's important. But it's a completely different position. Instead of, again, I'm just so tired and wore out, I have, to, I have to take this day of rest. I just need a break, right? Man, ministry, ministers do that. They, they do what's called a sabbatical. It comes from the same word. We're just going to stop preaching for like a month and a half, and we're going to go on like a two-month vacation because we just need a break from the ministry. Can you imagine it completely flipping where you could stand at the end of your week and say, actually, in fact, I was so productive this week. I did everything that I needed to do this entire week. I finished it all in six days. I'm not stopping because I'm beat down. I'm stopping because... The Lord empowered me and gave me his grace, and I finished ahead of time. Hallelujah. There is a power from God that makes you productive, efficient, and successful. You can do in six days what takes a normal person seven. You can accomplish in six months what they said would take, in five, would take five years. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Those are testimonies that we've had of believers that have got a hold of the message of faith that they've been in their job and their, their, their bosses have told them there's a promotion that will take you five years to achieve this promotion. We've had two different people achieve that promotion in six months. Y'all better rejoice about that. That's amazing. What the world said should take five years, it happened in six Months. Why? Because there's a grace and power of God to accomplish in six days what takes a normal person seven. Can you say accelerated? Accelerated. In John chapter 2, the first miracle that Jesus ever did, it was an accelerated miracle. He took water and turned it into wine. A process that should have taken years and years and years and years. Jesus accelerated the process and made it happen instantaneously. There's so many different aspects we could pull out of that scripture, revelations and truths. But I'm telling you, that's the picture. That's the, a type, a picture of the life of the believer. The grace of God comes on you and you can do in six what takes the world seven. Hallelujah. Y'all, that's the exact opposite of a victim mindset. That's the exact opposite of a person that just believes they go around and, and the world's just beating them up and chewing them out. That's a person that, that runs with the grace and the power of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Every believer should be, I believe this, every believer should be at the top of their field. 
Y'all don't shout me down this morning. Every believer should be at the top in their field. I believe that with my whole entire heart. Whatever God's called you to do, you should do it with absolute excellence and do it with a heart and a spirit that I'm going to go to the top and be the best at what God has called me to do. Every believer should be at the top in their field. If you're called and you work for a corporation, I believe that believers should be sitting at the top of those corporations. Well, let's look at this. Let's, let's see if I can back that statement up. Every believer should be at the top of their field. Look at Joseph. If you know the story of Joseph, he was traded into slavery by his brothers. What happened? Genesis 39, 1 through 5, it says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful Man, say successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did prosper in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his side and served him. Then what happened? Then he made him overseer of his house. Potiphar made him overseer of his house. Overseer, say foreman. He made him the boss. He put him at the top. Why? And all that Potiphar, all that he had put under his authority. Wow. So Potiphar made Joseph overseer of his house and overseer over all that he had. And he put all that he had underneath Joseph's authority. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Say for Joseph's sake. You all understand that when you're a believer, you carry something different. The Lord will bless your company because you're there. Man, we're really struggling right now. Our industry is really having a hard time. No, there's a blessing that attracts wealth. There's a blessing that attracts clients. There's a blessing that attracts people that's on you, and the Lord will bless where you're at for your sake. Hallelujah. So what ended up happening? Joseph, he was sold into slavery, and he rose to the top. Why? Why was he able to do that? I'm going to tell you one reason why I believe is because Joseph could do in six days what took other men seven days to do. The boss looks at Joseph, and it takes the other guys seven days to get this done, and Joseph's done by the end of the sixth day. Why? Because there's a grace and a power of God on the believer to accomplish in six days what normally takes seven. Hallelujah. Then what ends up happening, Potiphar's wife comes on to Joseph Tries to make a pass at Joseph. He runs out of the room naked. If you've ever read the story, he goes running down the street butt naked. She grabbed his robe. He fled from sin. Well, Potiphar got mad, threw him in prison anyways. But look what it says in verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long. I want you to circle that in your Bible. If you have an NLT, circle that word, that phrase, before long. Say before long. Before long. Hallelujah. Hey, man, I love those testimonies. Well, brother, it's going to take you five years to get to this level in the company. Before long, six months later, you're already there. Hallelujah. Say before long. 
Well, maybe if I work real hard in 30, 40, 50 years, the Lord will bless me with something good. No, before long. That means not a long time. The warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. Joseph was appointed at the very top. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. Say everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to to succeed. I'm sorry. Why did Joseph rise to the top? Because there was a grace on Joseph to be productive, efficient, and successful. Hallelujah. Look at Daniel in the Hebrews. Turn your Bible to Daniel chapter 1, 11 through 21. Daniel chapter 1, 11 through 21. I'm about to get moving. Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. At the end of those 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. It says this. Let me find my place here. It says, at the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned to them by the king. So after that, The attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for the others. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. Think about that. Literature and wisdom, we think that it's all just spiritual gifts. No, he gave them an aptitude for understanding literature like nobody else could understand literature. Say the anointing makes me smarter. (laughs) Hallelujah. So it says, And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. When the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff, it says, brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle, or Azariah. So they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom, and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the other magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. Say ten times more capable. What's my point here? By the grace and power of God, I can accomplish in six days what takes a normal person seven There is a grace, a power that comes from God to make us productive, efficient, and successful. Here's my first part of this Sabbath that I want you to understand. God instituted the Sabbath not as an escape from this world, but as a result of dominion in life and the ability to accomplish tasks quicker and more efficiently than what they should naturally take. Y'all put that on the board if you didn't. God instituted the Sabbath not as an escape from the world, but as a result of dominion in life. Think about that. Not as an escape from the world, but as a result of dominion in life and the ability to accomplish tasks quicker and more efficient than what they should naturally 
take. So again, my statement is every believer should be at the top in their field. Why? Because you can do what nobody else can do. Y'all believe that this morning? You got to stop being a victim. You got to start believing God using your faith. Lord, thank you for setting me apart. Thank you, Lord, that if you've put me in the office, if you've put me in sales, my sales will be 10 times more productive than any other salesman. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. I'm going to show you the different Sabbaths required in God's laws. One word that I want you to see is dominion. Can you say dominion? So one aspect of the, of the Sabbath, and again, you got to think about this. The Sabbath was instituted before there was even sin in the world, before there was a curse, before there was problems. The Lord instituted the Sabbath while men was living in total dominion on the earth. So Sabbath is, is coming to a finished work, not a broken place. I don't take a Sabbath because I'm broken. I take a Sabbath because I finished. Hallelujah. All right, I'm going to show you the different Sabbaths required in God's law. So the first one's in Exodus 28 through 11. It says, remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day, say the seventh day, is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. So number one, the first Sabbath is once a week. The first Sabbath the scripture talks about is a Sabbath that happens once a week. Once every week a person has a Sabbath. Okay? They would work on six days, but one day of the week they were not to work. They were to enter into a day of ceasing from a place of completion and dominion, not beat up and broke down. Now turn your Bible to Leviticus chapter 25. I'm going somewhere with this. I'm not just giving you random facts about the Sabbath. This is going to be good. Leviticus 25. So you had a Sabbath, which was once a week, and then you have another Sabbath. Let's go ahead and read. It says, verse 3 of Leviticus 25, But for six years you may plant your fields and prune your vineyards and harvest your crops. But during the seventh year, the land must have a Sabbath year to complete rest. It's the Lord's Sabbath. Do not plant your fields, prune your vineyards during that year. So say the Sabbath year. So not only do we have a Sabbath day in the scripture, which is the seventh day, we have a Sabbath year. It's called the Shemitah year. It's the seventh year. So just like the Sabbath day, they were not allowed to work on the seventh day, right? They couldn't go out and harvest. They couldn't go out and prune. They couldn't go out and do anything to gain provision. They had to stop. They had to be finished on that seventh day. Well, the same laws applied to the seventh year. They had an entire year they were not allowed to work. Can you imagine that? Couldn't go to work for a whole year. The next, we have the seventh year, the Sabbath year. That's the seventh year, the Shemitah year. I want you to see this. Lastly, we have the Jubilee, the, and this is in verses 8 through 10. In addition, you must count off seven Sabbath years, seven sets of seven years, adding up to 49 years at all, in all. Then on the Day of Atonement in the 50th year, say the 50th year, 
Blow the ram's horn loud and long through the whole land. Let me find my place here. So it says, set this year apart as holy, a time to proclaim freedom through the land for all who live there. It will be a jubilee year for you when each of you may return to the land that belonged to your ancestors and return to your own clan. So I want you to say jubilee. So you got the Sabbath day, which is every week. You got the Sabbath year, which is every seven years. And now you got the jubilee year, which is the 50th year. So I want you to think about this. When it came to the 49th year, that was a Sabbath year, right? Because that's seven times seven. It would, it would, the 49th year would fall. It would be a Sabbath. Then following after the 49th year immediately would be the year of Jubilee. Guess what? On the year of Jubilee, they couldn't work. They couldn't harvest. They couldn't plant. They couldn't prune. They would have to go through two years without working at all. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine right now you not being able to work at all for two years? Most people would say, what in the heck would I do? <laughs> I want to give you these facts about the Jubilee as we go on to read in Leviticus 25. It goes on to say that all debt is erased in the Jubilee year. So the 50th year, the Jubilee, any person that had debt, can you imagine your house note? Say you bought your house 10 years ago, and then coming up 10 years later is the Jubilee year. You still owe $200,000 or something on your house. When that Jubilee year hit, your debts were cleared and you were all of a sudden debt-free. Everybody debt-free the Jubilee year. In modern time, imagine your car gets paid off, your house gets paid off, your land gets paid off, credit card debt completely eradicated. Everybody gets to start debt-free after the Jubilee year. That was one of the things that happened the 50th year. Not only was their debt erased, all property was restored. So if you had to sell off property, say you, you started struggling, you couldn't afford to, to meet it anymore, you had 3,000 acres and you had to sell off 1,000 acres to pay your bills. When that 50th year rolled around, the year of Jubilee, that property would be restored back to you. And you'd get all 3,000 acres again. And guess what? The person that bought your property, any property that had been in their family would be restored back to them. So say property was restored. Finally, what another fact about the Jubilee is all slaves were set free. So a person, if they couldn't pay a debt, let's say they owed somebody several thousand dollars, they couldn't pay it, well, they say, well, I'll go into slavery, I'll be your servant, I'll be your slave. Well, they could only be their slave up until the Jubilee year. Once the Jubilee year hit, all the slaves were, be, were released. Nobody was a slave anymore. And then the slaves got to go and, and claim their freedom, debt-free, and reclaim their family's property, which had been taken into others' possessions. Hallelujah. Y'all, this is going to be awesome in just a second because you're going to see something here. I'm going to ask a question. So... On the Sabbath day, on the Sabbath year, on the Jubilee year, they were not allowed to harvest or work. Why? Why were they not allowed to harvest or work on the Sabbath day, the Sabbath year, or the Jubilee year? We're going to answer that in just a moment. But one of the questions you should be asking at this point is how did they survive? Think of the Jubilee year. They went through two years without being able to work. How did they live? How did they eat? How'd they pay their bills? What did they do? How did they survive? I want you to look at verse 18 through 22. 
So the Lord tells them, you're to observe the Sabbath day, you're to observe the Sabbath year, you're to observe the Jubilee. And he says in verse 18, if you want to live securely in the land, follow my decrees and obey my regulations. Then the land will yield large crops and you will eat your fill and live securely in it. Look at this. But you might ask, God's not ignorant. He he knew they were going to ask. You might ask, what will we eat during the seventh year since we're not allowed to plant or harvest crops that year? Verse 21, be assured, I will send my blessing for you in that sixth year so that the land will produce a crop large enough for three years. When you plant your fields in the eighth year, you will be still eating from the large crop of the sixth year. In fact, you will still be eating from the large crop when a new crop is harvested in the ninth year. Wow. So I want you to think about this. I want you to say double portion. So basically what God said is, I'm commanding you. You cannot work the seventh year. So they said, how am I going to live? The Lord said, I'm going to pour out a blessing so great on you the sixth year that when you enter into that seventh year, you're going to be entering into the double portion. And you'll spend that seventh year living in the double portion. Hallelujah. How am I going to eat? Man, the Jubilee, we got the, the, the Shemitah year, the 49th year, and now the Jubilee. Now that's two years we can't work, we can't prune, we can't harvest. What are we going to do? He said, I'll pour such a blessing out on you, that 47th year, that when you enter into that time of Jubilee, you'll be living in the double portion of abundance. Hallelujah. Say double portion. So he said he would give them provision for that year and then two years of provision on top. That's where I'm getting that double portion from. Think about that. So the sixth year would roll around or the 40, 48th year would roll around. He would give them the provision for that 48th year and then also on top of that provision, give them the 49th year and the 50th year's provision all in that same year. Say double portion. <laughs> Hallelujah. Here's the promise that God made, and this is in regards to the Sabbath. God would bless them so much leading up to the sixth day that when they got to the seventh day, they would be living in the double portion. God said, I'll bless you so much the sixth year that when you get to the seventh year, when you cease from working, you'll be living in the double portion. I'll bless you so much the 48th year that when you enter into the 49th and 50th year, the Jubilee, you'll be living in the double portion. I want you to say double portion. So I asked you that question, why? Why did God tell them they weren't allowed to work during that time? What was his point? What was he trying to get across to them? I want you to write this down, number two this morning. The Sabbaths were a break from the curse where we would live not by blood and sweat, but by God's provision. The Sabbaths were a break from the curse, where we would live not by blood and sweat, but by God's provision. you got to understand this. When Adam sinned, man became a slave, sweating to have provision. This is in Genesis 3, 17 through 19. And it says, and he said to the man, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed. Can you say cursed? Because of you. All of your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. 
So that was part of the curse is the Lord told the man, it's the ground's cursed. You're going to spend your life struggling. You're going to spend your life striving. You're going to spend your life shedding blood, sweat, and tears to gain provision from this earth. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. You were made from the dust, and it is from, to the dust you will return. So here's my whole point. Look at, let's read it one more time. Leviticus 25, 21 through 22. Be assured I'll send my blessing to you in the sixth year so the land will produce a large enough crop for three years. When you plant your fields the eighth year, you will be eating from the large crop of the sixth year. In fact, you will still be eating from the large crop when the new crop is harvested the ninth year. Here's my whole point was God was giving them a break from this life of struggle, of turmoil, of toil, of we're having to strive and struggle just to make a living and survive. The Lord gave them this window where they would get to live for a year in God's provision the way that he intended it out from underneath the curse. (laughs) So the Sabbath, write this down, the Sabbath was about man stepping out of this curse and living in God's abundant provision. Y'all see that in the scripture? When they stepped into the Sabbath, God provided. They didn't have to work to have provision. He gave them a double portion, and they got to spend the whole year living in a double portion. That's like your boss walking up to you and saying, here's your paycheck for the next three years. You don't have to do anything. Just enjoy yourself. Y'all getting this this morning? It was a break. It was a, and we're going to see what, what was he really trying to point us to. You'll see it in just a moment. So the Sabbath was about man stepping out of this curse and living in God's abundant provision. Can you say abundant provision? Leviticus 25, 26. So verse 6 of Leviticus 25. He said, but you may eat. Whatever the land produces on its own during its Sabbath. So think about this. He said you cannot plant, you cannot harvest, you cannot prune. I'll bless you so much the sixth year that you're living in the double portion the seventh year. But on top of that double portion, you can eat what, uh, whatever the land produces on its own during the Sabbath. This applies to you, your males, your female servants, your hired workers, your temporary residents who live with you. So God, so they, they got the double portion the year before. On top, God would cause the land to naturally yield for them abundantly that year. Hallelujah. They get to live in this double portion, and then the land, on its own, by the blessing of God, yields abundantly for them on top of it. Say abundance. So here's my whole point. What am I trying to teach you about the Sabbath? Why am I teaching you these principles of the Sabbath? I want you to write this down this morning now. Here's the climax of what I'm trying to say. We have the reality of the Sabbaths in Jesus. Amen. Colossians 2, 16 through 17. Don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or a Sabbath. Say Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come, and Christ himself is that reality. 
So back in the Old Testament, when they're sitting fat and happy in that seventh year living in the double portion, the Bible says that was just a picture of Jesus who was to come. That was just a picture of what Jesus was going to come, what he was going to restore, what he was going to bring us into, a covenant he was going to bring us into by his blood that he was going to shed. Hallelujah. The years that they would live in God's double portion of abundance was a picture of what the New Testament believers would receive in Jesus. Can you say double portion? (laughs) Praise you, Jesus. Write this down. Jesus is the Jubilee. Jesus is the Jubilee. Do you remember what I just said about the Jubilee? It was this 50th year where they were living in the double portion, but on top of it, all the slaves were released, all the property was restored, all the debt was eradicated. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Jubilee, or Jesus is the Jubilee. Where do we get this from? Look at Luke 4, 18 through 19. Jesus stood up and he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Hallelujah. What was this good news to the poor? It was the year of Jubilee. That was good news to the poor. Can I tell you that if you were a slave, if you were poor, if you had lost all, your, all of your land and been thousands and millions of dollars into debt, when that 50 years rolled around, that Jubilee year, that was good news to the poor. So he says, he's, he's, he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim the captives will be released. When were the captives released? The Jubilee. The slaves were set free the Jubilee year. That the blind will see and that the oppressed will be set free. And then he makes this statement. And the time of the Lord's favor has come. The, in it, the New King James says, He has anointed me to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. You know what the acceptable year of the Lord is scripturally? It's the Jubilee. Say the Jubilee. The acceptable year of the Lord. It was the Jubilee. So basically, guess what Jesus was standing up there saying? He's sitting here saying, was he he saying, hey, guys, guess what? It's the 50th year. It's Jubilee year. No, he's saying, I am the Jubilee. I am the Jubilee. Hallelujah. He was sitting there saying, that was all a picture of me. I am that 50th year. I'm setting the slaves free. I'm bringing good news to the poor. This is the year property's restored. This is the year that the debt is eradicated. This is the year you'll live in God's double portion where you don't have to gain provision by the breaking of your back, by the blood and sweat and tears that you shed, but you'll sit in a place where I'll provide for you because I'm bringing you into a covenant. I am the jubilee jesus said it was a picture of what we would have in him you know you think john are you stretching there no i'm not look at hebrews chapter 4 hebrews chapter 4 teaches the believers exactly what i'm telling you right now Hebrews 4, we're going to read 1 through 11. It says, God's promise of entering his rest still stands. His rest, say his rest. God's promise of entering his rest. That word rest, sabbat, it means ceased, it means finished. What did Jesus say on the cross? It is finished. He is the Sabbath. He is the Jubilee. It was all a picture of him. (laughs) 
The believer has rest. The believer gets to live in this place. Man, I'm getting myself excited. Out from underneath the curse that was pronounced on Adam. <laughs> Hallelujah. Can you say double portion? So remember, the Sabbath year in the Jubilee year, in the, in the Sabbath day, was the day, was the years of double portion. Hebrews 4, he says, now God's promise for entering this rest so still stands. It's talking about this, this reality in Christ, this, this Sabbath, this eternal Sabbath, if you will. So we ought to tremble with fear that some may fail to experience it. Did you know that just because Jesus did it doesn't mean you're going to experience it? You know how you enter into it? We're going to read in a moment. By faith. Say faith. How do I enter it? By faith. I get in, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I get into the word of God. I see what the Lord says in his word, what he offers me, what Jesus did for me, and now I enter in and I claim it by my faith, and I decide today that I'm going to have it, and that's going to be the reality of my life. For this good news that God has prepared this rest, say rest, has been announced to us just as it was to them. But it did them no good because they didn't share the faith. Say faith. See, it didn't do them good. They didn't have faith. Well, there's a lot of believers that this message, maybe, I hope not any of you. I hope this message won't do you any good. I hope that it will because you do have faith and you'll grab a hold of what I'm saying this morning. Because I'm telling you, if you grab a hold of this revelation that I, that I, was just, I just caught a glimpse of yesterday, it, I mean, it'll change your life. It did them no good. It says, for they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who believe can enter into his rest. Say believe. How do I enter into this promise, this double portion, this freedom from this curse? Well, I don't have to blood, sweat, and tears. And, and how do I enter into this place where I can accomplish in six days what a normal person can accomplish in seven? Say faith. By faith we enter in. Man, our covenant's so great. In the Old Testament, they had to enter in by their works of righteousness. And by our covenant, we enter in by faith, by believing and acting and speaking. Say, faith speaks. And if you go to this church, you understand how faith works. Faith isn't just some vague word, okay, well, I'll, I'll, I'll throw my faith out there. No, there is a, a, a formula to faith. Believing in your heart, confessing with your mouth. If you want salvation, we're saved by faith, right? We're not saved by works. The Bible says we're saved by faith. How are you saved by faith? Romans 10, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, Jesus Christ is the Lord. God raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. Be say, believe in my heart. Say, confess with my mouth. Hallelujah. Jesus said in Mark 11, 23, 22 through 24, you can say to this mountain, may you be moved and cast into the sea. And if you believe those things which you say and do not doubt, you will have what you say. Therefore, I tell you, you can pray for anything. And if you believe that you've received it, you shall have it. Say, say. Faith is speaking. So how do I, how do I, get, how do I engage my faith? I get it in my mouth. Say double portion. I want to enter into this reality of this rest, the Sabbath, this reality we have in Christ. Guess what? I'm going to start saying this is my year of double portion. 
well, let me tell you how hard and bad the devil's been and all the stuff that he's done. No, this is the year of Jubilee. This is the day of Jubilee. This is the, the favorable year of the Lord. This is the year of double portion. Hallelujah. Maybe you need to get it in your mouth. Guess what? This is the year my debt's eradicated in Jesus' name. This is the year property is coming into my possession because this is the year of Jubilee. You get it in your mouth. By faith we possess all that God's promised us. Hebrews chapter 11. So it says... So it says this, as, the script, as for others, this is verse 3 here. God said, in my anger I took an oath, they will never enter my place of rest, even though this rest has been ready since he made the world. We know it is ready because of the place in the scriptures where it mentions on the seventh day, Quote, on the seventh day, God rested from all of his works. I mean, it's literally quoting the Sabbath. On the seventh day, the Sabbath day, God rested from all of his work. But in the other passages, God said, they will never enter my place of rest. So God's rest is there for his people to enter. It's there. Say it's there for me to enter. But those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. So God set another time for entering his rest, and guess what? That time is today. God announced this through David much later in the words already quoted. Today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Now if Joshua had been successful in giving, in giving them this rest, God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. So there is a special rest. Look at this. Verse 9, there is a special rest still waiting for God's people. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors just as God did. Say God. Not Adam. Just as God did after he created the world. Did, Adam enter, did God enter into rest because he was tired? No, because he was finished. We enter in the same way just as God did because we're finished. Hallelujah. But if we disobey God as the people of Israel did, we will fall. Man, I want you to write this final point down this morning. In Jesus, by faith, we can live in the Sabbath every day. <laughs> That's the reality. And again, if you have the wrong mindset about Sabbath, you mean so that means we don't have to work? No, the Sabbath wasn't about this, I just don't do anything. It was about you're finished because you've been successful all week. Right? In Jesus, by faith, we can live in the Sabbath every day because it was a picture of him. So the Bible says that the Sabbath was not a week, it wasn't a day of the week, it wasn't a year, it was actually just a picture, it's a reality of the life that a believer has in Christ. Every day is the seventh day. I want you to say every day is the seventh day. Say every year is the seventh year. Say every day is jubilee. Conclusion. We live in a perpetual state of God's double portion and abundance. <laughs> say every day, say every week, say every year. We live in a perpetual state of God's double portion and abundance. We don't live under the curse. We don't receive provision by struggle and toil, but by God's provision and grace. Hallelujah. <laughs>
Go ahead, if you somebody will, and get Miss Jane. She's going to testify something here at the end. But I want you to get this. If Jesus is the Jubilee, that means that there is property that belongs to you because this is the year of Jubilee. Hallelujah. The Lord told me to write these statements down, and I'm telling you right now, there's people that when I say stuff like this, that it goes whoop in one ear, out the other ear, and there's other people that sit there and grab a hold of it, and they come back a week later with a testimony in their mouth of how God proved what he said in his word. If Jesus is the Jubilee, then that means there's property that belongs to you this year because this is the year of Jubilee. Hallelujah. Get it in your spirit. Get it in your mouth. Well, does God really want me to have property? Does he really? No, he's going to deliver it to you this year. It's being restored to you this year. Hallelujah. Say, this is the year of Jubilee. Guess what next year is? It's also the year of Jubilee. Hallelujah. If Jesus is the Jubilee, then that means that debt is eradicated. Say, my debt gets eradicated. This year, because this is the year of Jubilee. Hallelujah. Guess what next year is? It's the year of Jubilee. Do you get a revelation of why God said, under my covenant, you'll lend to many, but you'll never need to borrow. Why don't I ever need to borrow? Because I never need to borrow because I'm never in debt. Why am I never in debt? Because God erases our debts because we live in a perpetual state of Jubilee. I'm telling you that you personally, debt being eradicated this year for your business, debt being eradicated this year, hallelujah. God's cleaning the slate. This is the year of God's double portion. (laughs) Why? Because it's the year of Jubilee. And guess what next year is? I want you to say this. I want you to say double portion all the time. Double portion all the time. Hallelujah. So, you know, I hope this helps you answer questions like, is it God's will that I prosper? Well, when you really read the Bible, (laughs) it's all throughout the Bible. Amen. Say yes. Why is it God's will that I prosper? Because this is the year of Jubilee. (laughs) Praise you, Jesus. Some of you just need to double. You know, I'm going to be honest with you. Say double portion. I want you to get that phrase in your spirit. That was the phrase. I told you yesterday I was studying for this. It got in my spirit. I got so excited. I just couldn't stop saying double portion, double portion. Thank you for the double portion. Thank you for the double portion. I've been having my faith set. I said, Lord, I believe 50 people in our services. And you know what the Lord spoke to me? Double portion. You're going to live in the double portion. So instead of set of 50, why don't you set your faith to 100? And so I said, Lord, if this is the year of double portion, I'll live in the double portion, then that means this year you'll double the church. Hallelujah. And we'll go from 50 to 100 this year in Jesus' name. I want you to believe that. This Say, say this is the year that God doubles my portion. I want you to begin to use your faith. I was listening to a man that told a testimony of how him and his wife sowed a seed. They were believing God for $10,000 and... They sowed the seed, and they were standing. They, they, they decreed it. They released their faith. They spoke it. They did all the things that the Bible says to do to use their faith. And for months, nothing came to fruition. That $10,000 never came back from the seed. 
And so the Lord began to speak to this man about this double portion. And he got this revelation in his spirit. And he says that he went and talked with his wife. And he said, you know what? Double portion, instead of 10, I want to believe you for $20,000. So him and his wife came. They went into agreement. And they changed their faith from 10 to 20. Now we're believing God for $20,000. So at $10,000... All for months and months and months, they saw nothing. But the the day that they decided, no, we're going to set our faith for $20,000. The next day, say the next day, some man came to this this guy. I think he owned a mechanic shop and basically said, I got like 30 heads of black Angus beef. I don't know how many it was and these horses that are out in this field. And he said, "I I can't keep them fenced. I can't keep them contained. They're your problem. And he said, well, I don't know what to do with them. And he said, I don't know what you're going to do with them either, but they're your problem now. So the guy went out there, and he had just remembered that he had been talking to this man that was interested in buying cattle. So sure enough, they went out there, and after the sale was finalized, they wrangled up all this cattle that was on this land that that was just roaming around, and and the guy received his $20,000 within a week's time. Hallelujah. So here's, the, here's kind of the reality, is our faith, we set it too small. He was believing God for 10, and nothing happened, nothing happened, nothing happened. And then he got a revelation of the double portion, and the next day, the Lord opened the door, and he received the $20,000. Some of what we're believing right now, you need to literally double it, and you need to believe what the Word of God says. Nothing is impossible for the one who believes. My God is a big God. My God is able Hallelujah. Say, he can do it. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I pray that the double portion gets in your spirit and you believe God and you begin to pray radical prayers of faith. Whatever you were believing God for, that he literally doubles it in your vision this morning in Jesus' name. Man, I believe it. You guys that own businesses, thank you, Father, for double the clients coming in this year in Jesus' name. Double the business coming in this year in Jesus' name. Double the revenue coming in this year in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, Lord, I'm believing that you'll pay off $30,000 worth of debt. No, $60,000. Double it in Jesus' name. Come on, somebody. Set your faith to it. Get it in your mouth. Get it in your confession. Get it in front of your eyes. Yes, our car paid off. The Lord hears that. You just spoke it out of your mouth. Let it be done in Jesus' name. This year, (laughs) this is the year of Jubilee. Hallelujah. I hope that gets in your spirit, this double portion. I need your help. I need you to get double portion for our church in your spirit. I believe God's going to light a fire in you to get your friends, your family, people that you love and cherish, people God's going to put you in connection with, and you get this double portion by the end of this year that this church will have multiplied two times over. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. I pray that you get not only, you know, Jesus didn't only say, go and preach the message of the gospel. He said, go and tell people about the kingdom. You know, the gospel is a part of the kingdom message, but the gospel in the, the, the kingdom is a very broad message, and the gospel is a very specific message. The gospel is what Jesus did, how you can be saved. He died for you. He bled for you. He was whipped for you. He went to that grave. 
You believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, God raised him from the dead, you'll have salvation, God will forgive your sins, you will be saved, you will become a child of God. That's a very simple understanding of a gospel message, but the message of the kingdom is this, what do you do after you get saved? How do I live life in God's government, in God's society, in the principles that he created, the kingdom principles? People need to learn these things. Hallelujah. People need to learn not only how to get saved, but how to change generations that are coming after them. All it's going to take is one man and one woman to live a kingdom lifestyle, and then generations after you will follow after the example that you set. Your kids will serve the Lord. Your kids will be blessed. Hallelujah. People have got to get the kingdom in them. What is the kingdom? Life in the spirit. Prosperities in the kingdom. Healings in the kingdom. Dominion over the devils in the kingdom. The message of revivals in the kingdom. It's all in the message of the kingdom. And we got to get a fire that people have got to get the kingdom in them. You know, I, I we recently had a youth girl that she had a very close friend that died he just died recently believe it was due to suicide and that right there makes me so mad at the devil when I hear stuff like that what that does is it lights a fire in me that Lord the kingdom's got to get in the schools the kingdom's got to get to this generation because if that kid would have had a revelation of the kingdom he would have never done that he would have been totally broke free from the chains of the devil. And I pray that this vision, that that vision gets in you and you begin to look at your friends, you begin to look at your family, you begin to look at people that are in need in your life and you look at them and it's, it's good to sympathize with them, it's good to say I love you, you can cry on my shoulder, but ultimately they need a solution and the solution is the kingdom in their life. Yeah. Hallelujah. That's what we're about. And the Lord's going to double us this year. Say double portion. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Well, I want to give a testimony. Miss Jane, come on up and, and testify what you shared with us Monday. Well, there was more to it, and it's amazing that you're teaching on the devil because um, <laughs> that's just God. He is so good and so faithful. Um, you had mentioned the kids going to camp. I think about three weeks ago, and when you mentioned it, I just said in my heart, Lord, I want to give to this, because I know the importance of the youth getting rooted and grounded and staying rooted and grounded in the word and in the kingdom of God like you're teaching, and I see that here, the fruit of what you and uh, Miss Carissa have taught, and I honor y'all. I just want you to know, I thank y'all for teaching the word and preaching the word like you do, uncompromised, and walking in it, and I honor that gift and the calling. So anyway, I thought, Lord, I, I want to give to that, and then uh, I didn't have an amount, and then the next time, I guess it might have been on a Wednesday, you mentioned again, it again, we prayed about it, and um, and I thought, well, I want to give a thousand dollars, Lord, I want to give a thousand, and so... Um, the next, I think it was the next Sunday, which would have been last Sunday, somebody mentioned the devil. I don't know if it was you or uh, James. And uh, it's hard to explain spiritual things, but when whoever said it, it was like my faith reached out and grabbed it. Wow. It was like bleed for the devil. I said, okay, <laughs> Lord, I want to give 2000 Wow. 
and the amount I was believing in return, I'm doubling that wow. because we have a business and because of, you know, bad decisions or whatever, we have yeah. debt we need to get out of anyway. So, um, let's see, last, okay, so it was last Sunday too that uh, I said that. Okay, then Monday morning, uh, no, Sunday evening, I didn't make it to church. I had family and all at the house. And so um, I told my husband that evening, though, I said, kids are going to camp, uh, the youth, and where they were going, and that uh, I'm believing God. I wanted to, I didn't tell him how much. I said, I want to sow toward that. Wow. He said, okay. So the next morning, some money had come in. And uh, I was cleaning house, and he the came home morning. for lunch the next morning. He came home for lunch, and he said, come here. I want to talk to you. I said, wow. I went over to the bar, and he handed me an envelope, and he said, here's an offering for the youth. I said, okay. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm believing 2000 <laughs> So I started counting the money, and it was 1500 wow. He said, how's that? And I said, well, uh, I was trying to see if that's what I was believing for. And he said, well, what are you believing for? I said, 2000 He said, well, I guess he laughed. said, I guess you're going to have to have a garage sale or something for that other five. <laughs> I said, God will provide it. So I went back to cleaning house, and he said, come here. And he oh, gave yeah. me the other five and said, I guess I miss God. Hallelujah. <laughs> so, wow. God is good. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise you, Jesus. Say the next morning, before long, she got it in her spirit. This is what I want to do. Whatever things you desire when you pray. She said, Lord, I'm going to believe you for a thousand. She got a hold of the double portion and 2,000. What happened? The next morning, the Lord delivered the money to her. Praise God. Y'all, we've had testimonies like that. We've had testimonies. This works in every area of life. I want to give you these, these simple principle here. Claim it. Call it in. Look at Psalms 8, and I'm going to end with this, and we're about done. And I appreciate you guys. Nobody left. This is great. Hallelujah. I'm literally, I used to like five people at least, you know, like walking out halfway through my sermons. And I'd say, Lord, bless them. Uh, look, what, look at this. I want to just say something here. And, and I really want you, before you just totally shut me down, hear me out. In Psalms 8, David says, what are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them. Yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. Look at this. You gave them charge of everything that you made. Every, say, everything. Say everything. You gave them, who's them? Man, humans, charge of everything that you made and putting all things under their authority. The flocks and the herds and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims, the ocean currents. Basically, the whole thing is the, the, the earth and the fullness thereof, God has put under the authority of man. Okay, so I'm going to give you this statement. If it deals with heaven, then you need to go to God. But if it pertains to the earth, then you need to call it in. Why? Because we have authority. I would tell you the simple thing I was thinking this morning, and the Lord, I didn't use my faith properly, so I didn't see it happen. But I woke up this morning, there was no electricity in my house. 
Like, if you live where I live, I mean, it's like I don't, somebody sneezes and they fart, and you know, and the power lines are busting everywhere, and there's no electricity. And I sit there and I get up and I'm like, Lord, no shower. Oh my gosh, we're going to have to brush our teeth with bottles of water again and comb our hair. And, oh, you know, man, I needed a shower this morning. So I started praying, Lord, please let this power come on. And then, and then the Lord, I had already been meditating on this. The Lord said, why are you asking me? You misused your faith. If it pertains to the earth, you don't, I gave you dominion. Tell it to come on. And I said, like, dang, Lord, I missed it, you know. And at that point, I was already brushing my teeth with a water bottle. But, you know, if it, if it deals with heavens, you go to God. If it pertains to life on earth, you call it in. The other thing I want to show you this is Isaiah 45.3. And I'm going to end with this. We'll take up our tithes and offerings. This is the year of Jubilee. <laughs> Praise you, Jesus. It says in Isaiah 45, 3, I will give you treasures hidden in darkness and secret riches. I will do this so that you know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, the one who calls you by name. One more time. He said, I will give you treasures hidden in the darkness, secret riches. You know, I want you to think about this, just this thought. All of what we need for provision is already here on the earth, right? All that you need, money, every dime that you need to pay off your debt, it's already here on the earth. It's not in heaven. Did you know that God has no American dollars in heaven? The silver and gold that we use as currency, is that in heaven or is it on the earth? It's on the earth. So he says, I'll give you hidden riches, he says, I'll give you treasures hidden in the darkness, secret riches. Basically, what this is talking about is the Lord says, I know where it's at, and I'll show you where your provision is. So number one, I want you to, I want you to call it in, but I want you to get this reality. Everything that you need is already on this earth, right? You've been given dominion on the earth, so what does that mean? Do I need to pray for God's provision, or do I need to call that provision which is hidden to come forth? We need to call it in. This is the revelation Kenneth E. Hagin got. A lot of people think, John, you're crazy. You're coming up with new stuff. No, I'm not. Kenneth Hagin wrote books about this kind of stuff. The Lord said, never pray about finances again. You just call it in and claim what you need, and the Lord taught him how to do it. There's silver, there's gold, there's assets, there's property, there's money, there's a raise, there's all of those things on the earth right now that have my name on it, and I call it in in Jesus' name. You say, man, I need $20,000 this year if I'm paying off my debt. Call it in in Jesus' name. $20,000, I command you, you come in right now. Why? Because the Lord has placed me, uh, uh, placed me in authority over the earth. All things on the earth are underneath me underneath my authority as a human being, as a man, and as a woman. And I am entitled to use that authority now because of the name of Jesus. So you call it in in the name of Jesus. You say you come right now in Jesus' name. What, is the, what does that name do? It gives you the legal right to do that. It gives you the legal right to act like Adam did before sin was in the garden. Animal come walking into Adam's garden. You think he had to pray? No, he said, get out, and it went. Right? 
Hallelujah. And then this other thought, God's going to show you where it's hidden. Praise you, Jesus. I gave a prophetic word at the beginning of the year, and it was this, that this year God's going to show you the vehicle of your prosperity. What's the vehicle of your prosperity? Well, when we think of prosperity, we all think mailbox mentality, right? The Lord's just going to drop it in our mailbox. One day I'll walk outside, and then there'll be just something sitting in my mailbox. No, that's not the way that harvest works. In fact, I was listening to, uh, you know who is, Gary Kesey. He talked about harvest, and he said, God, even in his promise for harvest, he never said, I'll gather the harvest for you. He said, no, I'll send rain at the proper time. We still have to gather the harvest. Right, So we can't just live with a mailbox mentality that God's going to give it, wrap it up, put it in a gift box with a bow on top and hand it to us. No, it's more of a reality of I know where your harvest is and I'll show you. Hallelujah. And then he'll reveal vehicles of prosperity. What's a vehicle of prosperity? He's going to put it in your spirit to start a business. What will that business do? It'll get you out of debt. It'll begin to produce at a $100,000 level, a million-dollar level, and it'll get you into the promises of God. Maybe it's an investment. Maybe it's a stock. Maybe I don't know what it is, but the Spirit will lead you. You believe that this morning? So I want you to claim what it is that you need. If you have not laid claim of what it is that you want or that you need, you need to do it this morning. If it's a promotion. Again, if you're in the workforce and you say, well, I'm not at the top where well, you should be. And if you say, I don't want to be at the top where I'm at, well, then you need to go somewhere else and you need to be where God's called you to be. Hallelujah. Because that's naturally what's going to happen when you start doing in six days what another person can do in seven days. You're going to go to the top. Hallelujah. And I believe the word of God. Claim what you need. She said debt paid off, car debt paid off. Right now, speak it out of your mouth. Claim what it is that you need. I'm just going to begin to pray in the spirit, and I want you to speak it out. If it's a dollar amount, I want you to claim it right now. Thank you, Lord. Say, Lord, I claim it right now. I claim that $1,000 a month that I need extra for my family and for my children. I claim it in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. If you've already laid claim to it in another service that you've been here, you don't pray about it again. I want you to just say this. Say, it's working. If you've just laid your claim to something, I want you to say this right now. I want you to say, devil, take your hands off of what belongs to me. I command you to let it go in Jesus' name. Now, I want you to command. Hebrews 1 says that we have received angels, ministering spirits that are sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. Angels are harvesters. At the end, it says, at the end of days, the Lord... We'll open up the heavens and angels will go to all four corners of the earth and they'll gather the harvest that belongs to the Lord. Angels harvest. Say angels harvest. So you have angels assigned to you. What's one of their assignments? To gather your harvest. So right now, say ministering spirits. Say angels of the Lord. I release you now to go to where that treasure is hidden, to where that provision lies, to where my harvest is. Gather it and bring it back to me in Jesus' name. Say, it's working. It's done. I believe it. I receive it in Jesus' name. Y'all give the Lord a shout of praise. Hallelujah. Lord, bless them for being hearers of the word in Jesus' name.
If you would like to sow a seed or partner with this work that the Lord is doing, check out the description of this podcast or go to www.rhctx.com forward slash give. You can find all the ways to give on that page. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. Until next time, this is John Wallace.